Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. What if we drop the breathless, irrational fear-mongering that we have about primary care doc shortages? Now, I used to be on the chicken little side saying the sky is falling, but as my grandma used to say, honey, it's all going to be okay. Yes, a third of the PCPs are retiring soon, our best and brightest of another generation, but they're not going to want to with what's coming and what's here now because it's coming in heavy. In fact, wide scope. Primary care is a hot ticket. Everybody wants you. If professionally, your horse ugly, you're still the hottest one in the ballroom. They all want you today on your terms and many models. Okay, shortages. Is it possible to cover 330 million Americans with the PCP army that we have marching in tune? Well, the answer is clearly yes and yes, and I'm going to prove it beyond hopefully a shadow of a doubt today. So let's assume of 330,000 PCPs with wide scope of practice is what we need, or as wide as possible, let's say. So ideally like family practice, osteopaths, internal medicine with wide scopes. That's kind of what we're looking at here. If they have an average panel of 1,000, 330,000 covers 1,000. So if you're tripping on psilocybin right now, like I feel like I am right now, 330,000 times 1,000 panel is our population in America on earth. You're still with us, day trippers. Okay, so as long as we're on the shroom topic, I'm going to ring a gong when I hear 330,000 boots on the ground in these numbers I'm about to read out, because numbers are sort of tricky on a show. But here's the head count. In family medicine, we have 118,000 family medicine doctors practicing today, 145,000 osteopaths, 120,000 that are in internal medicine. Oh, did I hear a gong? We have 35,000 physician assistants that only specialize in primary care. And of the nurse practitioners that specialize in primary care, 225,000. Not only are we past 330, the magic number, but we're at 643. Way more than what we need to cover a thousand panel. So if you do the math backwards, you can do a panel of five to 700 in my little perfect world, my little mushroom world. And for those of you mullahs who don't like all this money flowing into scalable DPC, look, 1,000 is still way better than the 2,000 to 2,500 patient panels and legacy care. So relax, my hardline DPC friends. We're all on the same cruise ship into a better future together. Rantatious Ron, Rantatious Ron, we have rural and rough neighborhood urban shortages in primary care. Yeah, what about that fancy podcast man? Well, first, don't presume I'm not a woman trapped in a man's body. Don't make assumptions. And second, yes, we have an efficiency problem. And that's a hat tip to Dr. Paul Thomas in episode 25, who woke me up to that possible fact. And let me explain, let me explain. Virtual care 
can eliminate 85% of in-person visits. Now I'm giving a hat tip to Dr. Darshak Sangavi, episode 129 with Babylon Health. And Nice Healthcare is making house calls profitably at a very low monthly per member per month. So we presume that you can deliver primary care anywhere at any time, Tom Snatter and Kami, episode 131, if you want to hear that one. The macro solve is to quit fussing around centers for Medicare and Medicaid services with your tortured, report-heavy, failed experiments. Did you know that 81 of the 84 experiments have failed in the last 10 years with their innovation center? Well, can we say this in a nice way? No. CMS, you suck at experiments. So, oh my God, they're endless, they're exhausting. The lift service that goes to value-based care, it is under 10% of all reimbursements, period. What? Yeah, the bigs are addicted to volume like crack. More is always better if you're a big. That's the mantra, big hospitals, more heads and beds, big devices, big pharma, big insurers who own the big middles, which is all the big GPOs and PBMs, all those value extracting middles who lobby for endless legal kickbacks and rebates and spread pricing. And while we're talking about spread pricing, doesn't the word spread pricing just sound exactly like a pat down for Pete's sake? Okay. Without volume, share prices drop and healthcare is no longer a darling top decile performer in the markets. Jeremy, we need to come up with some kind of a violin cue for some depressing adagio when I talk about how horrible the bigs might have it someday with less volume. But more importantly, patients aren't attributable to a hospital, but to a PCP. That's intuitive, right? They aren't attributable to any other specialist either, except maybe a diabetic to her endocrinologist. Maybe there's other exceptions like rare diseases like MS are attached to a doctor, but Hospitals own 48% of all PCPs last report I saw a few days ago. So yes, you can party down with partial risk VBC that way because those patients are attributable to those PCPs. But even the hospital-owned PCPs, less than 9% participate in value-based care. May I address the elephant in the Tesla? 99% of VBC costs are equal to fee-for-service. Nobody's talking about it. It's reality, it's a fact, this is not my opinion. The savings to CMS are clearly negligible over long range studies of VBC versus FFS. Blah, 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 all this value-based chatter. Exhibit A, what works, your honor, I'm going to give you Chin Med, which is episode 64. And they are sort of uber rare because they're the rare earth mineral of value-based care. They're a full risk Medicare provider They've dropped hospitalizations 30 to 50%, bang. The cost per member, 28% drop, bang. And COVID mortality was almost half their peers, bang, bang, bang. I'm now blowing the smoke off my imaginary six shooter. Can't produce those kind of metrics in partial risk capitation, can you? You can with med adherence up those numbers dramatically, which retail primary care loves and is banking on, but prove me wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I'm wrong a lot. I really want to be wrong. I'm not kidding. I want to be wrong about VBC. So 95% of the big doc primary care groups, they got a toe in the water in this partial risk pool is what they call it. Partial capitation is the benefit. You don't get the full benefit when you're in partial risk. Whereas ChenMed, as I said, is full risk. So I say dive in. ChenMed says dive in. And I'll bet Chris and Gordon Chen would agree with me. So over 90% of care is forever volume addicted. Fee for service 
cue the Darth Vader theme song every time we mention the word fee for service. We have the answer. Thank you, Jesus. And Allah, Buddha, while Yahweh, Vishnu, all the guys, in fact, in terms and conditions may apply. The answer, you ready for it? Wait for it. I got to do that twice on one show. Direct primary care is proven for 30 years now. Happy birthday next year. They make winners of every consumer, every doc and nurse, every employer, every taxpayer, and let's call CMS our agent and agency, not the taxpayer. They're not the payer, we are. Costs go down, outcomes go up, shareholders win, community wins. That's called eight aims. Boom shakalaka. So I want to so gong one more time when I said boom shakalaka, but I'm saving you guys. I'm giving you mercy. But the Eagle has landed Houston. Eight, count them. Where's my six shooter? I need to convert it to an eight shooter. Rinse and repeat everything I said above of the eight winners for free market surgery centers. Everybody wins in free market surgery. They're also having their 30th birthday next year too. I don't think it's a coincidence. These are not CMS experiments. They're called market forces, baby, free markets. These white coats in direct primary care and free market are the happiest docs you'll ever meet. Burnout only happens to the bartenders and the toast at their gatherings. Thanks largely to self-insured employers, which numbers 100 million employees today, we are 30 million members strong. And the thing that it makes us unstoppable as a movement is because employers are not volume addicted. Employers are efficient and value addicted. That's why I think this is unstoppable. Yes, am I missing something? It seems rather simple when you break it down that way. So if you're baffled in any way by any of this stuff I'm talking about, just start listening into the show in the future where everybody wins right here at Primary Care Cures. So ain't got no stinking shortages. Save your ink and summer interns research time, Association of American Medical Colleges. There is no shortage and there never will be. We're way ahead of the game. Okay, today's guest posted this on LinkedIn. ACOs are dead. Tell me more, Grady Gibbs. Let's find out why. Grady has helped create a DPC network called the Jefferson Direct in Dallas-Fort Worth from the 300 doc group that Dr. Guy Culpepper created. Dr. Culpepper is one of the most eloquent voices for independent primary care on LinkedIn these days. And Grady runs strategic relationship development for Evolve Medical Consulting. Grady, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So before we get going, any comments? Just one quick one that uh, I helped create the network is uh, analogous to the, your dog sticking their head out of the back window of the car is helping you drive. I'm really kind of a small piece of this. It's really the, the Jefferson network was uh, Dr. Culpepper's brainchild and, and he's the driver and I'm just kind of helping him because I, I love the DPC model. What do you love about the DPC model, Grady? Years ago when I got into the, the healthcare space, uh, going on 20 years now, I saw the, the raw deal that I feel like the system gives PCPs in particular, obviously all doctors in general now, but especially PCPs get kind of a raw deal from the system. And I just love the idea that, that they go back to practicing medicine the way they should and that compensation goes where it should. That's a good answer. So you said on LinkedIn and you say a lot of interesting things on LinkedIn as does Dr. C is that ACOs are dead and I couldn't agree more, but I wonder if we're coming out from the same angle. Why do you say that? Well, I, you pointed out the, the lack of results for CMS. 
I try to tell people that, you know, game theory is the heart of everything. And by game theory, I'm not talking about dodgeball and, and <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Cracker Jacks and things like that. It, but game theory of how do you react to the rules of the game? Mm -hmm. And what CMS is doing, and God bless them, they're, they're trying their best to create smart systems. But they create systems, and those systems are gameable. And what they've done is created in the value-based arena. You've got to track a handful of metrics. If you hit those metrics, you get your bonus or you qualify for your bonus. And those things don't motivate the things that actually reduce overall spending. And I think the problem is that CMS answers to Congress and Congress answers to the lobbyists. Mm. And when, when you get that through your head that, that CMS is doing their best to, to help but they are constrained by who they have to answer to. And those guys are constrained by who they answer to. Ultimately, the system is still run by the bigs and all the middlemen who are doing everything in their power to stop CMS from actually shifting money away from facility fees and hospitalizations and the expensive stuff and pay it into primary care, even though they, everybody knows that, that was, that's the only way to reduce overall spending. It has to come down to more spending on primary care leads to less spending on the big stuff. And what they've done is create these, these models that are designed to do that, but then just fail to deliver because people gain the system. So I, I have a different take, but I want to hear your answer to this question too. Okay. Optum is the largest primary care group on the planet right now, or at least certainly in America with over 55,000 PCPs. So as much as hospitals have been rolling up practices and independence and ACOs that were failing, so has Optum. And they're doing it in such a big way. What is Optum slash United Health Group's incentive to own that referral flow? What's going on there, you think? I think they're directing the referral flow to their networks for the, the more expensive services. They're treating primary care like a loss leader, right? You know, grocery stores used to used to sell milk below cost because that would pull in the families with kids because those are the ones that buy the most groceries. Yes. Right. In, in healthcare, you own the surgeons, which means you control where those facility fees are, are spent. And then you buy the, the PCP to control the flow of those referrals to the surgeon. You know, try going to a, a PCP at a big and ask to be referred to a, an orthopedic surgeon who doesn't, who isn't owned by the same big. They yeah. can't do it. They won't do it. Yeah, can you refer me to the Surgery Center of Oklahoma? Can you refer me to the Lone Star Surgery in happen. Texas? They're never going to do that. You're Not going to exactly happen. Right. Yeah, they have no incentive to do that. The biggest thing that people have to get in their heads is that the insurance companies, we think of them as wanting to collect premium and then not pay claims as a way to make money. Turn that around. Insurance companies are operating on cost plus contracts. They have an incentive to increase the cost of health care because they have a built-in profit margin based on that premium. So the bigger they can grow premium, the more money they can make. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's, it's counterintuitive, but that's really how, because of the medical loss ratio kind of restrictions that they're under, they actually have an incentive to grow the price of health, the cost of healthcare, because they're gonna collect their percentage of that total dollar. And that winds up being more dollars than if they actually drive the cost down. They have no incentive to send you to the surgery center of Oklahoma and get a twenty thousand dollar knee knee replacement. They want you to go to the yeah. to the big in your market and pay sixty. 
I think that's a good 20,000 foot view. The, the other view that I'm starting to understand a little bit better is they own every niche of healthcare with Optum. There's hundreds of little companies and big that they own and they can send a lot of business to themselves, which helps them get that 80-20 number, 85-15 number up because they can push a lot more into the 85 that also comes back to their bottom line that's not insurance core dollars. So in other words, they're playing with fungible money, I think. Well, and, and, and look at some of the things that are proven to reduce overall spending. DCPs who enroll their, their patients in chronic care management, I'm talking about Medicare, put them in a chronic care management program, put them in remote patient monitoring, right? Get annual wellness visits done, uh, get the advanced care plans done. All of those things are proven to reduce overall spending. Why aren't the 55,000 PCPs at Optum all doing remote patient monitoring on all of their eligible Medicare patients? The answer is it reduces overall spending and they don't want that. Yeah, no incentive. All right, well, so we're on the same page. It's almost like a seesaw. The employers are dying for everything you just said. The retirees themselves are dying for everything you just said. CMS is dying for what you just said, but the other side of the seesaw is not a, caring at all about reducing the volume or the low value care. Yeah, it, it, the, employer, the employer is really the one that could change the system. Mm -hmm. And what you've got is a, is a couple of things working against us. One, they've kind of given up on the idea that they can actually do anything about healthcare costs. They've got people who are acting as their fiduciaries who are not on the same page. The incentives are aligned the opposite direction. There are good brokers out there who are actually working to help their employer clients save money, but the vast majority are simply bringing in the, the proposal from one of the big carriers and here's medical trend, whoopee, trends up 8%, your premium's only going up 6%, look what a great job I'm doing. And the, the incentives are aligned wrong because the guy's on commission based on those total dollars spent. The broker calling on the employer in a lot of cases has the wrong incentive. They want spending to go up the same way Optum does, the same way the bigs do. They're not really there to help the, the employer save money. And so a lot of employers have kind of given up on the idea that they can control costs. In the very first year that Surgery Center of, of Oklahoma was created, the very first year the DPC was created over in Florida, we had the Rosen Hotel or Matter and Health, and they weren't going to take it anymore. And they started Rosen Care. And it's not, I don't think it's ironic that in 93 is when all of these interesting ideas were born, free market surgery, DPC, and companies getting mad and taking over their own health care. And we've now had... 100 million employees that have gone to self-insured, that work for self-insured employers, and they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. We had a guest on a couple of weeks ago named Tom Gentilly with Spirit Aerosystems. It's a $7 billion company with almost 15,000 employees in five cities. And they have now brought DPC into their own on-site locations because they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. It was unsustainable, the rise in costs. And I think I think you're wrong that they're not doing anything in the majority of cases, but I think some companies are, have woken up. I think hundreds of companies, Apple, Google, Facebook, they're all doing DPC now, LinkedIn. Right. In fact, you could, it'd be hard to name a tech company that isn't doing it with uh, crossover health. Apple bought their own, you know, with one medical, they've invested in a company that's now public. And so they're doing DPC and they're rolling it in. You know, it's like Amazon's not at all their fulfillment centers, but they're most of them with crossover. So. I don't know. Tech is early adopters because they got to keep people retained. They got to attract more people. And 
if everybody else is doing it, they got to do it too. So I don't know. I think it's right. going faster maybe than we think. Well, and maybe and maybe I'm overly cynical because I'm I'm thinking of this you know 250 employee with mm. blue collar workers uh, yes. company. They're they've given up. They don't they don't think they can do anything. And then you know you've got this issue of it takes a little bit of courage to step out of the out of the paradigm of buying your insurance from a big. Yes. There are now advisors that specialize just in car dealerships. There are DPC advisors that advise just in labor unions. And so I think what's going to happen is these smaller are going to get picked off that are local, like school districts. There's a guy here in Texas. All he does is school districts. He's got nine of them. So the littler employers, when I say littler, under 10,000 that aren't jumbo, they can be solved by a local DPC. They can be solved with setting up independent contracts with independent pharmacists and grocery stores. So that is a model right. that is actually, I think, going to thrive. And and do, should we talk about the other elephant in the room, which is the Consolidated Appropriations Act and what that's going to do for all of the brokers that now have to disclose these millions they're sweeping under the table for themselves? <laughs> That is going to be an interesting an interesting thing when when the employers actually see what some of the brokers again you got to say some because there are some really outstanding brokers who are doing it right. I'm thinking about the Health Rosetta guys as an example that are doing it right, but there there are so many of them that are taking way more money than the employer would would ever agree to pay them on a consulting basis, and they're taking it from every which way they can. Um, my concern, and, and, and I hope I'm wrong, is that they wind up pulling a uh, kind of like the, the pharmacy benefit managers have done, like here's our rebate, but we're not going to talk about all the other volume incentive kind of things that aren't technically a rebate, but they're, but they're tied to, to volume. And yeah, you can, have a, you can have your rebate, we've disclosed it, but there's all this other money flowing around. And that's that's concerns me in the brokerage community that, yeah, here's the commission on this uh, stop loss that I'm bringing to you. Here's the here's the fee I'm getting. But then they don't have to disclose all the other compensation that's based on persistency of their groups, number of groups they bring and so forth. Yeah, but it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Peter Hayes was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he's with the main purchasers alliance, the healthcare alliance it's called the Purchasers Healthcare Alliance, and they are now fully awake to this. They're madder than hell. Their allies in that state have all woken up and their fiduciary responsibility, which the other side of the CAA, is that they now have to deliver, just like they do with pension, great results at great cost. So they can no longer get away with being asleep. They have, they've been slapped awake by the CAA. So it's not just the brokers right. that are gonna have to present their, their ugly side. The employers themselves have to be awake. And, and are you really acting like a fiduciary? That's a scary, that's a scary thing when, when Department of Labor is looking at, are you really acting in the best interest of your, of your employees? Because a lot of employers aren't, not, not out of malice, but just because of ignorance. I think it's the full Employment Act for lawyers from lawsuits. I, I mean, it's <laughs> clear, clearly they're, the ERISA lawyers are going to be very, very busy. Very busy. So what is the obstacle for a Jefferson group? to roll out DPC, is there any obstacle at all to waking up one day and say, yep, here's what we're doing for employers? The only thing, you know, what we're doing now is reaching out to the right kind of brokers 
to, to let them know that we've actually got a network so we can handle a larger, a larger employer without having to build their own network. Um, so that, you know, that's always a, a battle to get to the brokers who understand why this works and, and want to use it. Um, and then the second is just getting employers, uh, again, smaller employers, two to 500 employee kind of, kind of companies to say, hey, this makes a lot of sense. I can do this. I don't have to take, you know, my Blue Cross renewal or my, my Aetna renewal. I can actually look at working with one of the brokers that, that gets this and, and have my own benefit plan that works for the company, but also gives great benefits to the employees. Think, think about where an employee is, unlimited primary care at no cost, no out of pocket, got discounts on, on imaging, got, you know, navigation to low cost surgeries. So there's no out of pocket with, for those. I mean, there, you can give your employees great benefits. I'm going to assume that you're going after a different market then. So Dallas is the headquarters for more companies than just about anywhere in the world, if not the, the headquarters. I am going to assume you're not going to go after jumbos that have 40 state coverage. You're going to be going after local employers that the Jefferson group can serve. Am I wrong on that or am I on target? Uh, you're on target, but we also recognize that um, anyone doing DPC is our ally. We don't have any, we're not competitors. So we've got a we've got an employer right now with about 5,300 employees, uh, and only about 350 of them are in the Dallas area. So we're working on other markets where those employees are grouped, where we would then partner with other doctors in those markets and team up for uh, sort of national coverage for that employer. Okay, so that's not a problem that the pricing is a little different across the country at other markets that employers at. There's no problem. Can't be Can't be Got fixed. It. Okay. So y'all, y'all <laughs> will just work through that stuff. Okay. Right. So Grady, what question didn't I ask about this new offering that I should have asked? How much it costs? How much does it cost, Grady? <laughs> um, much less than you would think, because of the uh, the nature of DPC. And let's just—it's the only thing about DPC that you have to recognize that's negative. And that is there's a selection bias in the traditional hangout of shingle. I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm accepting DPC patients. You're going to get people who want a lot of your services. The 25-year-old guy who has not been to the doctor since he got mono in college is not going to pay $79 a month for unlimited PCP. So by nature, the DPC doctor model right now is attracting people who need lots of service and therefore pricing is a little higher. If you can take all of the people in a group, some of whom are gonna come in for an annual physical, maybe call you once in a blue moon about a sinus infection, the price per month on this capitation model can be much, much lower. Okay. And, and, still, and still making everybody win. Okay, you're not gonna state the prices, but you're gonna say it's in that range of everybody else. Right, it, it, $79 a month. $59 a month. Those kinds of numbers are, are actually higher than they, than they need to be if you're getting everybody. Got it. Okay. So Grady, what message do you have for not only the employers of Dallas, but for the advisors in Dallas, if you had to get the word out, what would that banner say if you flew it over America? <laughs> yeah, it's get mad as hell and stay mad as hell until we fix this. So you know what I'm going to do to give you what I'm going to give you because that was such a good one? 
a gong. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, normally a gong is a bad thing in no TV show, but that's a positive. I'm saying, I'm, I'm giving you thumbs up with that gong, okay? okay? So let's talk about how do people find you, Grady, or find this Jefferson Network if they're interested? Uh, best, best way to reach me, I'm, I think I'm the only Grady Gibbs on LinkedIn. Okay. Find me on LinkedIn. I can... My email and cell phone are both there. Any any broker who is the right kind of person, they're going to self-select. They know who they are. Uh, I'd love to talk to you. Love to give you support on any any client that you're working with. If you're an employer, same story. If you don't if you don't think your broker will will do it, contact us. We'll refer you to one of the ones that will. And one way or the other, we'll at least put the options in front of you and let you weigh those those options. And I got to tell you, there's no CFO out there who's not going to love what we can do for them. Yeah, because they're madder than hell. Hey, Grady, thanks for being on the show and take care. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.